0: Bills Live presented by Kaleida Health. Thank
1: God, it's Friday. Welcome to One Bills Live, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker, with you. As we are we have motored through the week. We have made it. And uh, you know, here we are. So boom! Boom, it's Friday. It's and Friday. you know, it's the best day of the week. <laughs> the work week, anyway. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. Saturday and Sunday one word. Um, yeah. I said work week. Yes, so yeah. yeah, that's right. Although Saturdays and Sundays can somehow morph into the work week once we get to the regular season. As once we you well get to know. the nice
0: weather, oh my gosh, <clears throat> I got I got a mountain of stuff I got to do.
1: Oh, you got oh yard God. work to oh do. Oh my gosh, it's never ending. But it's all right though. It's kind of funny. Like you finally get everything. To a place where you can kind of stay ahead of it for the rest of the summer, and then, then we're going <laughs> to training
2: camp. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then you
0: fall behind again because you're not home. We got a few sprinkles around the region, just really light. We didn't get anything where I live, but yeah,
1: me it's me been either. like three
0: weeks since it's rained, right? So all of a sudden, it's dry. now my
1: grass isn't growing. How bad, is the, how bad is the pollen on your car in your area? No, it's bad. It's bad, right? It's bad. I it's have bad. this film of yep.
0: yellow. That's bad. I thought, it was, I thought it was like maple wood ash from Canada.
1: No, it's because it's been so dry. When it yeah. gets dry, the pollen really flies. Fortunately for me, I don't, I don't have a ton of allergies like some right. other people do. Like our producer Jay, when it's this dry and the pollen's flying, he better right. be hopped up on his allergy medicine or he's in trouble. Right. I, Fortunately, that's not yeah. me. But the, yeah, I've got stuff going on. I am. i have right. a busy week for me. I've been
0: all okay. over the place, but it's been good. It's all good right. stuff. I, we everybody knows this here in Buffalo and in this western New York region um, you kind of we kind of hunker down and we kind of get through the winter we, we kind of thrive in it. I mean especially even this last winter where you kind of all kind of put our arms around each other and help us th- through the three generational storms that we had two snowstorms and an ice storm. And then we get to this point and it seems like every single fun thing that we've wanted to do for months and months is now all, plopped onto every single weekend of the summer. Well, the season's fall. short.
1: Oh, my gosh. So you have it has it's to the, happen But you way.
0: know what? It's the best, though. It's making choices like that and doing so, – I got, you know, I got two soccer games I got to go to tomorrow. I got a you know, farmer's market I'm going to hit up. I got a little yard work, like I said, is going to do. Then I got – there's a huge thing going on in my village tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Music Fest is over in East Aurora tomorrow. I'm going to, you know – 10,000, 15,000 people be over there walking around, we'll listen to the live music. There's 50, you know, it's just one of those things, right? The whole thing's up. Then I gotta finish it off. I've got a buddy who's got a place to invite us up for, you know, dinner at night. And that's just the first day of the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> right? We haven't even gotten to Sunday. Right. Yet. And I gotta, and you feel obli- I mean, certainly starting with the two grandkids who well, actually the four grandkids that are in playing soccer, I gotta be there for two different games. You know what I mean? you know it's managing your your blessings i guess
1: yeah. it's awesome it is pretty cool but
0: that's where we're all at right like you got a full weekend well in western new york we kind of do that though right we pile that it in that is correct let's go the football season's kind of a
1: vacation almost it's like okay i can't
0: can't plan anything on any of these weekends yeah.
1: summer in summer here in buffalo is like a compressed accordion it's all <laughs> scrunched right. in together it is but it is spectacular well yeah I mean, as you said, it hasn't rained in three it's weeks. I think spectacular. Even though we had – even though April was a super soaker, I think 20 of the 30 days in April we had rain.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: May – Yeah, we lived in like a long Late spring, May but... and early June here have been almost the exact
0: opposite. Right. Last couple of days with the fires in Canada, is see, I, a little bit of a respite today from that. Right? Yeah, I, I, I think, just think because the, the, wind the wind is changing. finally
1: coming out of the west now like it usually does, yeah. and it's blowing everything to the east coast. Is it uh, – maybe you know, I don't know uh, –
0: I don't remember. We might have talked about this the other day. We've talked about it off the air. I know.
1: Wildfires in Quebec is not a real thing. It's yeah, not a normal thing. Right? The Mississippi seems very unusual. I I did recall. I want to. I think it was Patrick Hammer from Channel Two, right. who friend of the show, who tweeted, <laughs> who tweeted that this has happened before, but he had to go all the way back to the late fifties oh. to find it. Okay. When there were forest fires in Canada that were impacting Western New York? Um, like 1958, I but, but say. But, like, do
0: they happen every year and it's just because the wind was wrong?
1: You know what I'm saying? Oh, like that's the wildfires a good question. California
0: wildfires kind of happen every year, every other year, or, you know, on a regular basis because of the winds that they get and they, whatever, and the dryness that they've had. But I don't remember the wildfires in Quebec even being a thing. And I thought maybe it was because we don't hear about them down here because the wind was never right. Because the prevailing wind takes it away from us.
1: Uh, I'm trying to do a quick Google search. We like, how I guess, often? I
0: guess, I guess we could have shown up to the show a little prepared for yeah. these conversations, uh, right? Well,
1: they, it, it makes the show more <laughs> organic this way, right. I think. Right. Um, <laughs> but Canadian wildfires are worsening. Um, it's been a brutal wildfire season this year because of how dry it's been. And I do know that... A lot of the elected leaders, both in Canada and the U.S., have pointed to climate change as a reason for this. We do know that the California wildfires have been more numerous each year and more widespread because of dry conditions um, over the years. Is there anything that gets better?
0: Like, everything's getting worse. Pollution's getting worse. The economy's well, always getting. It, no matter climate, where you
1: live, the economy's worse than it w- whatever. If climate change keeps going the wrong way, we'll have more water. <laughs> Is that? The, I don't know if that's better. We'll have more
0: water where we don't want it, right? Yeah. In our cities, in our coastal cities. Yeah. We'll I don't know like, if that's better. We'll have six. We'll have six cities in America that are like Venice, Italy.
1: Yeah. Right. Floating cities. Yeah. I don't know. We're I, well. We're not smart enough to know that I, stuff. I, yeah, we no, haven't right. studied it that is correct
0: so and, and it's a good thing we can talk about it when we haven't studied it
3: yeah
1: i just god bless america i do hope things get better uh, you know cuz you're losing you're losing trees by the thousands i would imagine up there well
0: they said the the fire the, these fires going to they're going to last weeks cuz going to burn a lot of them are going to burn themselves out there's like, there's like 400 fires up there 130 of them are out
1: of control crazy. And that's just because of how remote the area is in uh, which they're happening. They they can't get to them with enough yeah, air support and to uh, drop water on not them Not for stuff. nothing,
0: but it, for most of us, and I, I hate to, you know, be this kind of cynical, most of us now don't think give won't give it an... Uh, there's 20,000 people up there that are displaced. We won't, most of us won't give it another thought because it's not blown in our face.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It'll, be, it'll be off our radar and it's for somebody else's problem. Now. So that's kind of the way we are, right? We just kind of move on and what's, you know... What's the headline this week? Like I got to go to soccer games tomorrow, right? Yeah, that's that's, that's <laughs> kind of the, the I'm like a Well, that impacts I'm like a, you the I'm most. like a goldfish.
1: That's about as long as my memory is. 10 seconds. It's crazy. Uh, let's go around the NFL, brought to you by Kaleida Health, the official healthcare system of the Buffalo Bills. We know that DeAndre Hopkins, Steve, will be visiting the Tennessee Titans on Sunday. He now has a second team on his schedule, the New England Patriots, who he will visit next week. Now, some national reporters have noted that Hopkins' visit to the Patriots makes sense because he played for Patriots offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien to start his career in Houston and was an All-Pro three times in his offensive system. So a reunion would make sense. I think people are forgetting he also traded him.
0: Unceremoniously,
1: I got to ask you, Steve. And since was, you've been in, you've been in these rooms, and you've talked contracts with GMs and stuff like that. How does this one go when he steps in the room with Bill O'Brien, who traded him away to Arizona when he was the head coach in Houston? And I, I'm, I'm, how does that go?
0: I got a little bit of remembrance. It wasn't like this. Wow, he's a great player, but we're our team's not in the position to get him. No, it Some was people
1: like, thought they didn't even get enough. Yes, for him.
0: they. Well, yeah, and plus. It was like Bill O'Brien kicked him out. Like he took a bag of donuts
1: yeah, for DeAndre I, Hopkins. Maybe it wasn't acrimonious, it been, but it certainly was unceremonious,
0: right? And it was they didn't want to pay him too. I think. Yes, I think there was that in there too. So that that goes along with everything. Uh, and I'll say this though, DeAndre Hopkins has has a reputation for like not being one of those guys who goes out and practice and gives it his all.
1: Yeah. Every in day. fact,
0: in fact, some days he won't. Do it at all? Yeah, won't press. He's gonna sit there and, and stand and watch. I don't know how that goes in New England. I get the feeling <laughs> yeah. that in New England, that's a good point. They expect you to show up and like in game day mentality on practice.
1: And you have to wonder if that's why he wore out his welcome in Houston with right, O'Brien, that's, right? I mean, who subscribes
0: o- to the same kind of approach. O'Brien has to know that, yeah. But maybe too, and I'll say this for in, De- in defense of DeAndre Hopkins. Cliff Kingsbury did not run a tight ship in Arizona. No. And so if you're. But how does he operate under tight ships? Is the trade from Houston to Arizona an indication that he isn't? I I don't probably ultimately know. It's probably about money in the contract. Because I think Bill O'Brien would have had it out with him and say, listen, we need you, you know, I need you to. And he would probably have responded to it, particularly if the contract's right. But in Arizona, I think. When the game takes out as takes as much out of you as the game does for all these guys, all of them, if you get a chance and a coach who says, you know, if you if you're not feeling it today, you can sit, you know, you don't have to, you know, if they give them that leeway,
1: players are going to do it. It's just the way they are. They path of least resistance. I'd love to be a fly on the wall when he steps in the room with O'Brien. Yeah. Hey, Coach, how you doing? Did you like that trade you made for me? I, yeah, and I I think for DeAndre you lost your job. I
0: think, Deion, yeah, right. He traded him, and he traded uh, he traded four Laramie Tunsell from the Dolphins along with Kenny Stills, and didn't have a new contract for Laramie. So Laramie plays that year. They traded like a, a one and a two, or an exorbitant at amount. At least
1: one first round pick.
0: They traded an exorbitant amount of draft picks and collateral for Deion, for for um, Laramie, Laramie Tunsell. He comes in, plays left tackle, and is a stud. On the field, off the field, leadership, he's everything they could hope for. And now, if they don't sign him, he's a free agent after giving up all that for him. I mean, that was that's when Bill O'Brien as the GM was, like, exposed as being, oh, maybe not up to it. And that was the beginning of the end for him.
1: Yep. So we'll see what happens on the DeAndre Hopkins visit tour. Uh, unable to find a last-minute trade partner, it is now official, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter. The Vikings have... Officially released four time Pro Bowl running back Dalvin Cook. Teams rumored to be the most interested are Denver and Tennessee. Miami is a preferred destination for Dalvin himself since he is from South Florida. So we'll have to see how it all shakes out and who has money to throw at Dalvin Cook. in what what we learned on yesterday's show, is an enormously devalued running back position. I don't know that I've seen the value at the running back position take as big a hit as we saw this offseason. And we heard it from Joel Corey, who was on our show yesterday. Last year at this time, there were a dozen NFL running backs making more than $11 million a year, more than $12 million a year. There were a dozen running backs making more than $12 million a year. There are now five left. Yeah. So seven of those guys that were making that kind of money are not anymore. They were either released, their contract ran out, and that's about the only two scenarios that occurred. NFL right. clubs, even with a superstar running back, are shedding fat salaries at the running back position to yeah. invest the money at other places on their right. roster respectively, yeah. and Minnesota is now the latest example. They nope. have to sign Justin Jefferson, Steve. Yeah,
0: that's right. Nobody in the NFL has a base salary above $11 million this year. Now, there's bigger cap hits, and there's guys who have gotten more cash this year, but nobody's got a base salary above $11 million.
1: If you, yeah. have, if you have cap space and your running game was bottom third in the league last year, you can get this guy for Six million, five million, for one year. I would do it. I, I would do
0: it. I know that. I we've know heard. Yeah, Dalvin Cook is. You know, he's from South Florida. Going back to my, <laughs> I, I don't know, Dalvin, but going back to South Florida where you grew up, and as a member of the Miami Dolphins, there may be, that may be hard for him to show up to work, and really grind it out. I mean, that would be. You know what I mean? There's a lot, of ton of distractions, family pressures, yeah, you know, uh, you know kid every week. brother, kid brother, you know, I mean, all In the, the division. family and the division, all that stuff going on. He, it, it might be a second job being Dalvin Cook, to being Dalvin Cook, Miami
1: Dolphin.
2: Yeah. You know
1: what I mean? Not would be mention, like having two jobs. Steve and I were talking about this before we came on the air today. You know, there is that threshold. It used to be the age 28 season when they would find running backs, the great majority of them anyway, their production would drop off a cliff, Mm -hmm. and they'd never get it back. There are exceptions, Adrian Peterson, Frank Gore, a couple others, but the vast majority of backs, after their age 28 season, start to decline, some more precipitously than others. Cook, now in this advanced day of analytics, that that number – that is associated with a running back decline, is 2,000 carries. And they count college and pro together. Cook had 687 carries at Florida State in college. And I think he's got over 1,200 in the league. 1,282. 1,282. So you're right there at that 2,000 mark. 1,969. Yeah, you're right there. And don't think for a second (laughs) that the analytics department in Minnesota didn't weigh in on that and influence, perhaps, management's decision to move on from him. Because the analytics are saying he's going to start to go into decline very soon.
0: He had 1,100 yards last year, no question. But you'll have people, and with every player, I don't care who it is, Josh Allen, Pat Mahomes, and certainly all these running backs, you'll have guys on both sides of it saying, He wasn't very good last year. They had other guys on their roster that were better than him last year. And other people have said, I don't know how you get rid of a guy who's had this kind of production. He works hard. He carries the ball hard. Um, You'll have guys on both sides of the coin. But the analytics don't – I mean, the facts don't lie. And certainly they're not predictive. But unless you think Dalvin Cook is like an Adrian Peterson kind of guy, kind of some freak of nature – uh, who's going to go to twenty five hundred carries before he sees any decline? You better get rid of him. Mm-hmm. You better get rid of him. Um, he's right at two thousand carries in his career right now, college and pro. That's and I, you see it play out. Not yep. certainly they may they may love the guy, but they're not going to give him millions of bucks, hoping that he's this. Anomaly and
1: statistical anomaly can carry the ball 300 times this year. Be interesting to see where he ends up and for how much money Hopkins as well. For that matter, Bill's news, Josh Allen was out and about last night. He was at an EA um, entertainment event for his Madden 24 cover as he was downtown at a local establishment, met up with some bills fans in attendance publicized the release of men 24 and i think it was important to him because we've seen him say this in interviews and he commented at this event last night you know yes he's the first bills player on the cover but it's not just about him he was very quick to exercise humility here and point to the bills fans as well i don't know if it's hit me yet to be honest um
3: I was talking to Deion Dawkins yesterday and he was just saying, like, I don't think you realize that every kid that turns on their Xbox or PlayStation, like it's going to be you. It's going to be your face. And um, when he said that, it kind of it did resonate with me because I remember being that kid and buying Madden and looking at these covers and, you know, seeing seeing who was on those covers and wanting to play with them in the game. And, you know, that's that's what's really cool about it to me, um, that as a kid, I, I literally learned the game of football through Madden. So uh, to now be on the cover of it, I can't thank EA and and Madden enough for allowing me to do that. And um, it comes after, obviously, the year that John Madden was on the cover. So um, it's a huge blessing for sure.
4: What was this whole process like? The cover and the shoot and all of that?
3: Yeah, I mean, the shoot was really fun. Um, It was down in L.A., and they they brought fans from a uh, L.A. backer or Bills Mafia backer bar in L.A. So they didn't tell them that they were going to be on the cover. So when we walked out... Like their reactions were real and, and genuine. And we'd taken a couple takes of this and everybody was kind of like in the background was like, guys, like I scored a touchdown. Like let's grab onto me. Like, like you, we, we just, we're winning the game right now. Like, like make it a, uh, let's make it realistic. So they had so much fun. I had so much fun shooting with them and um, props to the, those fans for, for being on the cover too. I think that it's the first time. Fans have been covered on – are on the cover as well. So, I think that's pretty special, especially with Bill's Mafia. I think that the representation there is very valid and it's long overdue.
1: I don't know if you saw the numbers, Steve, but one of the main reasons he's on the cover this year is he was used in the Madden game on all gaming platforms more than any other player in the entire league, like millions of times like millions Dude, tens of millions of times he's a creature man he's different
0: he's different um one of the most physically gifted guys ever to play the position um and you know I've obviously I've spoken with him we spent a little time together and he's just you know he's just he is who he is he's there's no pretense about him um he's honest as the day is long I think people really appreciate that even if he's not Listen, even if he's not feeling he's like, listen, I gotta, I'm not doing that. We're gonna, you know, I, guess I, got, I got other stuff I got to do. His honesty is endearing, and um, I think his teammates are a testament to the fact that it's real. And I've told you this a million times. The acid test for me is what do his teammates really, really think about him? What do they really think about him? Because when you're in a locker room in the NFL, you can't hide because there's a lot of strong dudes in there, and they don't care if you're a celebrity. They don't care if you're on the cover of Madden. If you're not their, you know. If you're not a great guy, they don't really care, and they let you hear about it. So the fact that we know, you and I know how much the guys on this team revere, love him, revere him, and they, you know, treat him like they're like a puppy dog, um, goes miles for me. Telling you that's exactly who he is all the time, and that's why you know, it's it's you know, it's just great when you see good things happen to great people. Yeah, you know, and he really is. I mean, I'm yeah, I'm not saying he's perfect. I mean, I mean, he's not walking around with a with a halo around his head, but the guy is is great. You know, he's he's the, his teammates love him, the fans love him. He's in the right spot at the right time. Says he, the right things. He, he says the right things. He lives the right kind of life. His family's great. Um, he, um, you know, it's it's nice to see good things happen to people who you got a lot of lo- a lot of respect for. Yeah. And uh, this is certainly one of those moments, and and it's Bills fans are Bills fans are going crazy over yeah. it, and they should.
1: It's pretty cool. Uh, we want to remind you that with it being Friday, as always, it's the OBL Fan Friday Mailbag that is open for you to submit your questions and queries about the Bills, the league at large, anything, salary cap, free agency, you name it. We try to answer it. So if you have any questions, you can call us at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550 to get on the phone lines. Ask us a question about the Bills or the league. And as we said, free agency, the draft, whatever it is uh, that's on your mind, you can ask us. And uh, we'll try to give you as intelligent an answer as we can. Um, so get on the lines now. If you want, we got open lines for you there at 803 Also on the tweet sheet, if you don't have time to call, but you want to fire off a question there, you can do that at one bills live on Twitter. Steve, I found, we had Jeffrey, uh, Chedia on last week from NFL.com. And he had an interesting write-up this week, 10 mini camp questions. And I want to bounce some of these off of you because he had some good ones. Um, just going around the league, some pressing questions, you know, about new pieces and new places, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to read five. I'm going to read the first five off to you. I want you to pick which one you think is the most interesting. All right. And then I want you to pick the one that you think is the most difficult to answer. Okay. So here are the first five. Okay. Are the Cowboys better off with Mike McCarthy calling the plays? Will Brock Purdy be magical for an entire season? Will Vic Fangio turn around the Dolphins' defense? How much help do the Lions get from their rookie class, which is Jameer Gibbs and Jack Campbell? And is there already too much drama around the Raiders? (laughs) Those are the first five. Cowboys McCarthy, Brock Purdy, magical. Vic Fangio, defense. Lions, rookies. Drama, Raiders.
0: Uh, Which one do you want? Most interesting?
1: Which is the most interesting I think.
0: Runner. I think the most interesting to me is Mike McCarthy yeah. in Dallas because they got a shot to win that division. I know Philly's good, but the NFC as a whole is an afterthought this year. Their, their whole conference stinks except for Philly, San Francisco, and then maybe Dallas and maybe the Giants.
1: Yeah. Seahawks um, might be decent this year. Seahawks
0: could be – there you go. And that's it. Everybody else is yeah. – Fourth place finish. Treading water. Right. So I think the Cowboys have a real shot to, to do
1: some damage this year. Okay.
0: So I think that, and him calling the plays, I think is because that's really how he made his bones in the league.
1: I find the Brock Purdy thing very interesting. He had a, a great debut performance last year once he got on the field for them, and it continued. I'm wondering, though, if there's enough tape out there that they've got a book on him. We know Shanahan's scheme is very difficult to decipher and defend against, which certainly helps Purdy. But is there a book on Purdy now where maybe the stats aren't as sexy as they were last year? That's what I wonder about. Maybe. You know what I worry about?
0: Is Shanahan's offense being such that quarterbacks can't stay healthy in it? Yeah, I mean, you got yeah like nine guys go down at that position and and three Garoppolo, in one game and Garoppolo couldn't stay healthy his entire career there. Yeah, you're right. I, I'm I suspect it's not all just the wrong guy taking snaps. The design of that offense and all it takes is like one play a game yeah. to go wrong. But that offense seems to be just invite quarterback injury. Yeah and I know that everything's different and all that but I I don't know. There's just so many ways that you can get hurt out there running around with big strong nasty dudes. Yeah. I somehow some way it seems to me that that offense if it has a flaw, that's it. Right. That guy's exposed a little bit too often to awkward physical contact. Contact.
1: Yeah. That's an interesting take. I hadn't thought of that. But uh, and maybe I, I, something's messed up with the protections. Because I don't
0: know. I mean, everybody says, "Well, we're going to run our, we're going to run the Kyle Shanahan offense." Well, who does? Who runs it? Yeah. You know, Miami does, and their quarterback can't stay healthy. You know, I so I don't know. I, 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 that's probably an overgeneralization, but I think about it a lot. Yeah. Particularly when they got the same position every year gets nicked.
1: We'll ask the second set of five questions a little bit later on in the show and pick from that list, which is just as interesting. But we got to get to the phones at 803 eight 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 five fifty two five fifty since we do have the Friday fan mail bag open. And we lead off with Dave in Florida. What do you got for us, Dave? You're on one bills live.
2: Real good. How are you fellas doing up there? The smoke clear yet?
1: It's uh, better it today. today. Thanks. It's for better asking. today.
2: Okay. Uh, what I'm calling about is I want to congratulate uh, Bean and the whole staff are putting together a solid team this year. And the other thing I don't like, and I'm skeptical, I guess, is the date of our first game, 9-11. And it just brings back bad memories for me. Yeah. So I just want to put that in there. That's all. And you guys have a good weekend. I'm going to be up there in July. I want to come visit you. I want to come see you guys in person. <laughs> come on in, Steve, I, And Steve, I watched you. And I watched you. I was a Bills fan in the '60s, season ticket holder in the '70s, until I moved down here. Now I'm coming back home. All right, nice. So awesome. have a good one. All right. All right. Dave, take Take care. All Thanks right? for the call. Travel
0: safe, man. I look forward to seeing you.
1: Yeah, I, um, I think there are there are people that have a little bit of trepidation about the season opener for a few reasons. Number one, it's on the road, and it's a division game against a team that's expected to be significantly improved because of the quarterback they have in Aaron Rodgers. But on a secondary level, to Dave's point, I think knowing that the hi- how the hype can build in New York, especially when a team is expected to be good, like the Jets have been by all the national media pundits, and then you roll in the emotion... Of 9-11, which is the date of the game, Monday night, September 11th, knowing it's going to be the 22nd anniversary uh, of 9-11. Um, you know the pomp and circumstance before the game is going to get everything to a fevered pitch one way or the other. Dave, it's a little bit more personal for him, apparently, based on what he was saying. He didn't even mention the game. Um I, 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 it will hit some people and be difficult. Um, even 20 some odd years later, it's hard for some people to deal with. And I totally get it. Uh, you know, originally being from downstate, when I watched that happen, it, it shook me. So yeah, I get it. And it is a thing. Uh, and it's going to be something that the bills are going to have to work around because the bottom line is you got to play when they tell you when the game starts and the game's going to be kicking off at, you know, eight twenty something on September 11th in New in New Jersey, in New Jersey right across right the across. river from yeah. Manhattan.
0: Yeah, uh, that is not lost. But I think one of the things, Dave, if you want to do, if you do want to, um, if it does mean something to you, that's on 9/11. Remember, just know this: they're going to commemorate that. It won't go unnoticed. Oh yeah. Um, and it will be a moment where our country remembers, and uh, so they will pay tribute to those people who lost their lives and uh you can bet that they will do a very nice job of commemorating that so don't think that it is being disrespectful in any way shape or form having the game on that
1: day yeah we have to take a break here the obl friday fan mailbag is open though for your questions at 803 550 888 550 2550 the number to call open lines for you there and we will get to those phone calls kevin and hamburg will lead us off when we return Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, back here on One Bills Live on a Friday, OBL Fan Friday mailbag. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And we are going to go back to the phones for your questions and queries about the Bills or the league at large, whatever's on your mind, open line for you at 803 550 550 2550 But we lead off with Kevin in Hamburg. What do you got for us, Kevin?
2: Hey, guys. How you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Hope sure. you're doing okay today on Friday. Yeah, it's yeah.
1: Great. great.
2: Yeah, good. When I saw the beginning of the program, before you talked about Dalvin Cook and you said about DeAndre visiting Tennessee and then, um, of all people, the Patriots, When when using the Patriots, I got, like my mom would say, the heebie-jeebies, or some people say the willies. I thought that is, like, the scariest thought. I mean, the Patriots are finally not as wonderful as they used to be. The last thing we need of all people being Bill fans is see something to make them better, not wonderful like they were with number 12, but a little better than what they've been the last couple years. And that thought is just, like, nauseatingly, like, a bad case of food poisoning or something. It's oh. like, oh my god! I'd rather see him if he's not in the Bills' helmet. I'd rather see him go to the NFC, even if it's Seattle or how about Detroit get better or whatever. So, I'm just gonna let you yeah comment after that. Yeah, All
1: right. I'm, I'm sorry your your stomach's turning over that, Kevin. <laughs> I think Steve could talk you off the ledge though because I don't know if you heard him yesterday on the show. He's he's kind of wondering the more he investigates the DeAndre Hopkins situation if if he's on the decline right I I don't yeah I'm I'm certainly he's more
0: further closer to the end of his career than he is to the beginning but you know he hasn't you know he had a six game suspension last year and then he missed week 17 and 18 at the end of a six game losing streak whether he shut it down or they shut him down uh don't know don't care Uh, but he did he only played nine games last year Uh, He was hurt the year before that. Uh, Perhaps the PED thing was to recover from whatever injury he had in 2021. Uh, Don't know. Uh, He did not – he has been – it was reported to us on this show that, you know, he didn't like to practice all that much. And that could have been, as we said, a function of what he was allowed to do by Cliff Kingsbury, the head coach. Maybe there were some other guys who were like that. Maybe it it comes from – I have a hard time thinking uh, Kyler Murray is a grinder, but you know it just wasn't the vibe there. Now, if he goes to New England, you know that organization is notoriously a grind week in week out. Uh, I'm not going to say it's a joyless <laughs> existence, but don't know if you'd say it's fun either. Right? Um, there's all of that in there. I don't, and I don't know that DeAndre Hopkins at this point of his career is ready to jump in and go 1,000 miles an hour for 18
1: weeks. Yeah. It's a valid point. Uh, yeah. We'll see. Does he take the money, or does he go to a contender for below market value? That's, that's the question. That's the decision here. We were here. talking
0: about that. It's one of two things. He's going to take the money, or he's going to go to a contender, his best guess. To me, most of those guys take the money. Yeah. Because even if you go to the best team, it's the best team in May or June or July. When you choose that, it may not be the best team in February. Right. And that's a that's a roll of the dice always because the best, you know, the best teams get a sh- shot at it, they don't always win it.
1: Right. And there's 31 teams that are going to finish this season unhappy. Right. Back to the phones and to Tony in Lancaster. What do you got for us Tony?
2: Gentlemen, I'd like to know if it's a possibility that Bills bring in DeAndre Hopkins as a safety valve just in case Stefan Diggs decides not to show up for minicamp and starts the drama.
1: Yeah, um I, I think those I don't think those things are linked, to be quite honest with you, Tony. Um I think Stefan Diggs is being a little bit misconstrued here. I you know, I've talked to a bunch of people about, you know, people that have asked me about Diggs and him, you know, mouthing off on the sidelines at the end of the Cincinnati playoff game. And more than one of his teammates have said that this is a guy that when he's frustrated, he just has to get it all out. He has to get it all off his chest. He's got to spout off and just say everything. And then after that, he's fine. It just so happened that television cameras caught that at the end of the Cincinnati game, and people believe because they saw that, there's obviously a problem. Stephon Diggs is a very smart man. He knows how good he has it here. That's number one. Um. Number two, his dead cap hit is $45.4 million. That also um, makes, you know, any kind of thing like you're suggesting, essentially untenable. So, I mean, Steph Diggs is the same wide receiver today as he
0: was when everybody said when he left Minnesota that you, he was going to blow it up. He was going to be – he won't be able to live with Josh Allen. He'll be so frustrated. He's going to be a diva. Steph, he has been nothing but stellar with Buffalo. And, and they made him a team captain, which they don't hand out just willy-nilly. Don't, don't think now that he's going to change. Um, he's not going to. He's the same guy today as he was when they got him, and when he was catching touchdowns and and all of that stuff. Don't he's the same guy. Don't think he's not. Nothing's changed for him. He's like it's like Brownie said. You make the cam- cameras or whatever may catch him yelling on the sidelines or screaming or whatever, but I know this. He and Josh Allen are buddies, close friends, and they don't want to play on the team without each other. I mean, that You know what I mean? Uh, so, don't – I mean, this this drama that you always hear about from Steph Diggs, it, I, I just don't – I'm with you, Brian. I just don't think it exists. Yes, he's not that kind of guy. It's artificially when, when manufactured. People, when think. people see him yelling on the sidelines, even if he's yelling in Josh's face, <laughs> don't worry about that. Yeah, Steve can tell you how many times that happens. Don't worry about that. That's, that's, that is group dynamics. And everybody on the sideline, when they hear Steph doing that, all the players, they're like, okay, they – they, they know exactly what context to put that in, the relationship with Josh and Steph yeah. and all of us.
1: And the context is just let him finish.
0: Yes. We we had guys like that on the teams I played with. Every team has guys where if they do something like that, all the guys are going to, hey, that's just that's just Steph being Steph. That's just him being him. Don't worry about it. And that, it, it really is that way. So I don't care if Steph Diggs shows up to ma- mandatory minicamp next week or not. I really don't. He's gonna he's gonna show up in training camp. He's gonna show up during the season. The guy's the guy can go and he's gonna and he's gonna go. Yeah. So uh it's voluntary. It wasn't widely publicized. There's a ton of guys that didn't show up yesterday because there was a
1: wedding. I mean, it's voluntary, bro. Right. It's mandatory next week though. Yeah. And that's what people are concerned about.
0: Uh, yeah, don't be. I, I don't think they should. Hey, even be. if he
1: doesn't show up, don't worry about it. Let's go back to the phones and to Chris and Elma next. What do you got for us, Chris?
2: Yeah, uh, nice to talk to you guys. Uh, um, and two questions about the quarterback situation. I was always wondering whether uh, in, the, in the old days they talked about whether the way a quarterback threw, whether it was easy to catch or it was hard to catch, and also what the, the Bills' uh, backup quarterback situation is.
1: Right, okay. Um, I'm not going to pretend to know because he hasn't been around long enough. If Kyle Allen's ball is an easy ball to catch, we'll have to ask some receivers as we get him on the show or talk to them after practices in the coming days or in training camp. Um, but Kyle Allen is essentially here to be the backup QB. Matt Barkley is also here. He spent most of last season on the practice squad when Case Keenum was the backup. I would anticipate the plan anyway is to probably move in that same direction. I suppose, you know, Barkley and Allen are battling for the backup quarterback job. Um, both are good friends of Josh as well. But I've got to see a little more of Kyle Allen before I can kind of weigh in on his skill set and his yeah. and I don't blend whether, with receiver. I count. don't know
0: whether uh, Chris is talking about Josh throwing an easy-to-catch football or not. Um it's easy enough Uh, and in this day and age i think there's it's become less of a talking point because quarterbacks the elite ones like josh mahomes burrow herbert uh, lawrence all these guys they throw the ball in so many different ways like touch passes darts long balls um, three quarter arm three quarter arm off platform stuff so the ball comes out a lot of different ways but back in the day when they caught, when they threw an easy to catch ball, it was the way they spun it. Um, some guys spun it really fast, and it was like catching a cheese grater, and it was really hard. Um, that ceased to be a big talking point when players started wearing gloves the gloves allow the receivers to attack the ball and not worry about getting the skin on their hands taken off or it's stinging so bad. It won't sting. So they now with guys wearing gloves, you don't hear so much about easy ball to catch, hard ball to yeah. catch, that kind of thing. And and uh, and this about Kyle Allen, and, and here's the thing. I, I don't care if Kyle Allen can play quarterback. I don't care if Mac Barkley can play quarterback. It, that's not what they're here for. They're not here to play. They're here to get Josh to play better. During the week – during the games, during the practices, during meetings, and on the sidelines during games, those guys are there to support Josh and get him ready. It's not about getting two guys or three guys ready to play. It's about getting one guy ready to play his best. That's why the other quarterbacks are here in Buffalo. It's it's Barkley and Al and, jo- and Kyle Allen's job to get Josh Allen to play his best. Yeah. Help him do that. Help be the quarterback coach. Help the quarterback coach. Help the offensive coordinator. Be a creative voice. Be a sounding board. Be a voice in Josh's ear that he can trust. Be a voice in Josh's ear that holds him accountable. Be a voice in Josh's ear that, that gives him trouble when he does the wrong – like, hey, bro, you can't do that. Somebody who he can trust to tell him the truth and still be his best bud. So, don't worry if Kyle Allen can't play or whether he can. Nobody cares. All you care about is Kyle Allen and Matt Barkley and Ken Dorsey and the quarterback's coach um, get him, get Josh ready to play. That's all they're here for. Yeah, Joe Brady. Joe Brady. I'm sorry. Sorry, Joe. Um, Joe Brady. That's why they're there. So, that's, remember that when you talk about the quarterback room yeah. and backup quarterbacks.
1: Break time for us here. Fred in Rochester, Jeff in Amherst will lead us off when we come back as we have more of your phone calls next here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. It's an OBL Fan Friday mailbag. Right back to the phones and to Fred in Rochester. What do you got for us, Fred? You're on One Bills Live.
2: Hi guys, uh, thanks for taking the call. Um, I um, I got a, a question. Well, first of all, I wonder what was going on with Cole Beasley. Is he is he retired or is he out? in the you know, is he still available or what's going on with him? I'm kind of interested. Um, but kind of uh, off on a tangent here, um, I noticed that the uniform colors on the bills they never have a uniform with the red over the white or the white over the red. And I often wondered why that they have other, every other uh, combination of colors with the red, white, and blue, but they they don't have a red jersey over white pants or white jersey over red pants. Um, that's kind of a little. That's a little off on a tangent, but uh, I wonder okay. why that is. Yeah, we're just, we're wide open for those uh,
1: questions, Fred. No problem. Um, thanks yeah, okay, for the good. yeah. Thanks for the call. I would say the first the first thing, Cole Beasley. He was brought back last season out of necessity when the Bills weren't getting the production in the passing game that they wanted in the second half of the season from the likes of Isaiah McKenzie, Gabriel Davis, and others. So they brought back players that they thought could maybe provide more reliability in the passing game. Cole Beasley was one. John Brown was the other. Cole Beasley is now 34 years old. I'm not going to say... He's lost a step, but I think the Bills know they're not in a position where they can run it back again. They have to give the time to this youth that's you know growing into larger roles, and they shuffle the deck in free agency as well with Trent Shurfield and Deontay Hardy. But I think Khalil Shakir is going to grow into a little bit bigger role this year, and I think Dalton Kincaid is going to grow into a role this year as well and I would guess by the end of the season those two are contributing significantly more than even in September or October if things go well. So that, that – I, I don't think Beasley's in the cards. He is a free agent. He is still out there. But, yeah, his his career could very well be over. We'll see. He, I don't think he's he's –
0: officially retired if that's what you no mean. you do have to fill out retirement papers when you're in the nfl right. so that he i don't think he's done that yet and i i simply think as brownie and i have mentioned without mentioning cole beasley and specifically the receiving core of the bills is going to be vastly different and much younger than it was a year ago there's only three guys coming back who were on the roster last year uh for games and it's shakir davison and, and um Steph Diggs yeah that's it. the three of those guys that's the only three guys back mm-hmm. uh and they there were times when they got, had six guys active and plus like eight guys or nine guys on the roster or at least in the in the building so all those guys are all going to be new and for the most part obviously they're younger
1: and secondly they're much bigger yeah
0: physically that I think that's a trend
1: back to the phones and to Jeff and Amherst here what do you got for us Jeff
2: Hey, Stephen, Chris, thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. I love your show.
1: Oh, thanks. Appreciate
2: uh, that. Yeah, no problem. I wanted to talk about um, protecting Josh Allen, specifically when he's in the pocket, making his throws. Because when I look back at last year in that Jets game, he when he injured his elbow, he was not the same after that. Um, I think it's absolutely paramount, especially – through the pocket that we protect him because we know when he gets outside of the pocket, Josh can make things happen. Um, and I, I, you know, I think that's where it all starts. I'm worried about our offensive line because I read a, a stat the other day that we ranked 25th in the league as far as protecting our quarterback.
1: Yeah. Well, they have made investments there, Jeff. That's the good news. Um, Their largest free agent contract in terms of total value was given to Connor McGovern, who's going to probably be a starter on that line, presumably at left guard, where he also played in Dallas. And then the right guard position, I think Ryan Bates is going to have stiff competition in the form of second round pick Osiris Torrance and three-year starter out of L.A. in David Edwards, who both play the guard position. So your point about the pocket is well noted, and I think the Bills personnel department and the coaching staff saw it the same way. All three of those men are over 320 pounds, and I think it's, it's with the aim of the integrity of the pocket and making it better for Josh to operate, not to just keep people off of him, but to protect it and keep the integrity of the pocket in such a way that he can step into more throws in the pocket. Not that he always needs to. We've seen him make plays off his back foot, falling away, and he's still throwing at 40 yards. But there has been a heavy investment up front this offseason, particularly at the guard position, and I think it's with what you're talking about in mind. Yeah, I would agree. And I'll read you, you know, the, just the guys that are listed
0: only at guard or maybe center guard. Uh, you've got Ike Butker, Nick Broker, David Edwards, Connor McGovern, Osiris Torrance, Ryan Bates. Uh, those guys are guys that just guard. Now there's some guys that are guard slash tackles later on, but you know, Ike Butker is 6'6-313. Nick Broker, 6'4, 305. David Edwards is 6'6 308. Connor McGovern, 6'5, 318. Osiris is 65347. And Ryan Bates is 64302. Now, I know that, you know. Three bills is a big number, and I know that it's not just the size down there that makes a difference, but the athleticism. I agree with you, and Jay, our our producer, tweeted out a couple of weeks ago about a rant about me going off on why I don't care if Josh runs it more or whatever. I don't worry about him when he runs the ball. I worry about him in the pocket. I'm exactly like you, Jeff. That's when Josh gets hurt is when he's standing in the pocket, and I think the bills know it. And they're trying to find, a way, find ways and get guys who can stone people at the line of scrimmage yeah. and give chance, Josh a chance to throw. A little bit of it's always going to be on Josh. Because as we know, when it's not there, he pulls it down and takes off. Uh, but if he can drop back and get rid of it in two and a half seconds, he will be safe back there with these guys up in front of him. And the Bills have made, like Brownie said, a huge effort to make sure the guys in front of him stand or up to it yeah. and not only them but the guys behind them the backups they're going to have good depth as well
1: even in the late going they added Brandon Shell just a couple of weeks ago this is a guy who's been a four-year starter in the league at the tackle position primarily yeah. right tackle he's going to be even more competition for Spencer Brown so yeah they're not resting on their laurels up front for sure break time for us but when we come back we're going to talk about a little scheming and where it's headed in this league in terms of offense versus defense with NFL writer for the Ringer, Steven Ruiz, who charted 5 games last year and has an idea on where scheming's heading. We'll talk to him next here on One Bills Live.
0: One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health.
1: All right, welcome to hour number two here on a Friday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, and happy to be joined now by NFL writer for the Ringer, Stephen Ruiz, who recently put together a lengthy column about (laughs) where scheming is headed in 2023 and cited five specific games, one of which included the Bills. Uh, to kind of point us in that direction. Steven, thanks for joining us first and foremost. Um, if there is a general overview, because um, we will get into some of these games that you referenced in your story. Um, if there's a general overview that you pull out of this, what would you say is is the headline from where for where scheme wars are headed?
4: I, I think it's uh, being able to do more schematically being able to have more variation on both sides of the ball i think we've seen this with the bills over the past couple of years though the offense has been super productive there have been times in the playoffs where not being able to run the ball has hamstringed them a little bit and it allows defenses to sit on certain concepts and make the things that the bills do well for instance it, it makes it harder to do so i i think that's where the league is going and and that Bills Rams game that was the game I highlighted at first I thought that was the first time we saw this Bills offense the potential of what it could be if you if you do have a run game if you do if you are able to go under center and and run the ball and and call play action or go into the gun and call a little quick game I thought it showed the full breadth of not only the skill set of Josh Allen who I think is like the, the the focal point of the offense, but the skill players on a team. And I think the more that they lean into that diversity, the more you're going to see players like Dawson Knox or Gabe Davis kind of break out and start to produce as we're expecting them to produce as young players.
0: Yeah. You talk about being under center and then, you know, so many teams are exclusively shotgun and we see uh, coaches like Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan vacillate between under center one year and then getting away from it the next year what's it do to the defense? Why under center? Why shotgun? Explain the differences and what it does to the defense.
4: Because I I just think you have to respect the run game and the different types of of concepts you see from under center. It's hard to run an exotic scheme from shotgun unless you get the quarterback involved. And now there are teams that are able to do that. Like the Eagles were were not afraid of leaning on Jalen Hurts in the run game. The Bills, I feel like, have been reluctant at times just because of the value Josh Allen presents to this franchise. I mean, he is, he is the franchise. They're paying him like it. You can't have that guy on the sideline hurt. And we saw what happened to that offense when he got a little banged up last year, when he hurt the elbow, we saw the offense kind of regress to where it had been the past couple of years. And you saw the progress they had made over September and the first part of October kind of dwindle away. And by the end of the year, the offense was kind of a little too reliant on the big play, a little too reliant on Josh Allen being able to create. Uh, And That's what happens when you're in the gun. I think it's easier, like I said earlier, for teams to sit on what you're doing. You can only run a certain amount of concepts, especially if that quarterback isn't a threat to pull the ball. Now you're really only running like inside zone, maybe outside zone. Even that's kind of weird to run from the gun. It's really hard. And I thought Ken Dorsey did a really good job down the stretch of figuring out ways to still run the football, even though the the defense – And the interior line wasn't necessarily set up to block, and the defense was able to sit on other stuff around the run game.
1: Yeah, you did astutely point out in your write-up that, you know, the elbow injury to Josh impacted the short throws, which, as you outlined in the season opener, really diversified Buffalo's attack. And that is why it's probably a big reason why the offense looked like such a heavy lift at times in the second half of the season because that element, the we call them the easy button throws for Josh that Cole Beasley made so popular when he was here you know his first three seasons in a Bills uniform. That kind of went away last year for a, for a number of reasons, but I think because with that elbow injury, it was harder for Josh to put proper touch on the underneath throws, and I think it's part of the reason why we saw more long throws down the field. So, that's one element, but I want to I want to spin it forward to this year, Stephen, and get your thoughts on this. I don't think there's any question that the Bills have upgraded the guard position with Connor McGovern, Osiris Torrance, and David Edwards from the Rams, big men who can move the pile, number one. And then number two, they they upgraded the running back position with Damian Harris and Latavius Murray with a second-year James Cook who figures to be the feature guy, so in a committee backfield for what it's worth. My point is those two elements plus Dalton Kincaid makes me think that we're probably going to be looking at a lot more under center pre-snap, right?
4: Yeah, that's what you would think. And it seems like the Bills have kind of been a year behind the Chiefs. The Chiefs have kind of went through the same evolution last year. And I think the running backs, the running back signings, like bringing in Murray, bringing in Harris, two guys that they're not going to get you, you know, 25, 30-yard gains, but they're going to turn a two-yard gain into a three-yard gain. And that yard matters like second and six is way different in this league compared to like second and seven, second and eight. And I thought that's what the Chiefs realized. The Chiefs the past couple of years had kind of been uh, like when they drafted CEH, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, he was a he was a receiving back. He wasn't really a runner. And I thought that was an example of them trying to build upon what they already did well, the passing game and and not getting bringing in like a physical runner, a plan B So to speak, like a guy that gives you a different pitch, a different an off-speed pitch. And I think bringing in Damian Harris, you're going to be able to run like these physical run concepts that maybe you weren't able to run with a Devin Singletary because he's just not that type of runner. And then you add in the tight ends, and then like you said, now you can run a little more under center because you do have these these movable pieces in the backfield. Like you can line up Dawson Knox as an H back, or now that you have Dalton. And Cade, you can have him do that instead of Dawson Knox and have him play his typical role. And I think that just makes it easier to diversify things. And that's the theme, diversify things.
1: Yeah, so Damian Harris is kind of like Buffalo's version of Isaiah Pacheco, a downhill runner. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. How much did Christian McCaffrey change things for the
0: 49ers last year? They were kind of criticized at the beginning, and then they just said they just thought that guy might unlock what they wanted to do offensively. How did he change things when the Niners got him last year? Because once he got into the game – As you said in your article, they didn't lose another regular season game when they got Christian McCaffrey on the field. Yeah, they didn't lose again
4: until they had a quarterback who literally couldn't throw the football in the NFC title game. Uh, I I thought it just made – we talked about the easier plays for Josh Allen. I thought it gave Jimmy Garoppolo and Brock Purdy eventually easier plays where Kyle Shanahan didn't necessarily have to set them up with the play call. Because this is a team that liked to go under center – like to run the outside zone and then set up the the play action off of that, the bootleg, get get the quarterback outside of the pocket. And that was getting harder and harder to do because defenses were just, you know, getting better at defending it because that's become the most popular way to play. We've seen the McVay and the Shanahan guys kind of spread throughout the week. Those guys a couple years ago were getting all the head coaching jobs and that offense has spread. Well, when that offense spread, defensive coordinators started looking for answers. And I thought like the answer was that, the Vic Fangio tree, which we've kind of seen, we've seen grow in popularity over the last couple of years. It grew in popularity because it was so good at defending the Shanahan stuff. So you saw Shanahan kind of have to go away from his bread and butter and find a new way to make things easier on his quarterback. And I thought McCaffrey was a, a great addition because you can run him out of the backfield and it's not like those traditional running back routes where, You're not going to get a lot of yards throwing like a swing pass to a running back as like your check down option. McCaffrey was like the focal point of the play. Like he would run out of the out of the backfield and run like a little option route against a linebacker. And after a while, like those six, seven yard gains on first down start to pile up. Defensive coordinators get a little antsy and they're like, we have to do something about this. We have to stop Christian McCaffrey, whether that's like a bracket or a double team. But they, they had to stop something, and that opened up the middle of the field like play action used to do. So it was like getting the same effect from play action without having to invest it in the run game and run play action a lot. And you saw that in their numbers. They they went to the gun a little bit more, and they stopped calling play action as much.
1: We had In your write-up, there were a couple of quarterbacks who I think we would all consider to be rhythm throwers. Garoppolo, Tua, I mean, these are guys that, rely on the play design, drop back, let it fly. And you kind of pointed out how simulated pressures kind of defeated that timing and really forced them to pat the ball. And now the timing of the play is off and you've got them. I remember watching the, the Dolphins chargers game out in LA. I was fascinated by Staley's defensive game plan in that game. Brandon Staley, the chargers head coach, um, bills fans will be interested. Like, is there a blueprint to at least get off on the right foot against the Dolphins' offense with the right kind of simulated pressure scheme? Or is that in the past now? And McDaniel will have an answer for that, and you better come up with something else.
4: No, I think it's just something you have to have now in your in your bag of tools. Like you look at the college level, and that's where the, the college game is going. And I've always thought the college game kind of is a year or two ahead of the pro game, and you start to see some concepts. Of the more successful concepts trickle up. And I think that's one of them. And I think the more, the better offenses get at doing a lot of different things, the more you're going to have to get creative on defense and the bills have done simulated pressures in the past, like Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier, when he was the defensive coordinator, they, they did this stuff, but they didn't really invest in it. And I think that's what, that's what makes it hard for a team like Buffalo, especially last year when they had all the injuries. So the way they play defense, they kind of just lined up and played and like relied on execution, relied on on good fundamentals. Quarterbacks are getting too good now. Receivers are getting too good. Co- play callers are getting too good. You have to have change-ups you can throw at them. You have to be able to keep the offense you know, off their front foot. And I think that's just one way to do it, the simulated pressures. And another thing simulated pressures do, and I, I think the reason why they're so effective, is they force you to keep that back in, in protection. You don't get that fifth receiver out into the route now all of a sudden the defense has fewer players to guard and they're not coming up to to tackle the running back, you know. And I thought that was a big key for like Joe Burrow, for instance, his maturation last year. You saw him stop taking sacks because he started using his running back as an outlet more. And I wrote about the Ravens game in the playoffs when they, they almost upset Cincinnati. And that was a big part of their, their game plan their defensive game plan was making sure that running back stayed in protection. And the way you do that is you just, you send blitzers from each and every direction. So the offense doesn't know where it's coming from. And their only recourse is, Hey, let's just keep six in to protect. And that's the only way we're going to be safe.
0: We're having conversations in Buffalo about Josh Allen. And certainly early in his career, they used him as for called runs in the running game. They've gotten away from that now. And they just, you know, when he wants to run, he pulls it down in the passing game and makes it happen. We've seen other teams like, you mentioned it in the NFC championship game a year ago. The Niners are down to their fourth guy and now and then the emergency guy in that game. Is there something in the 49ers philosophy that gets quarterbacks nicked? Because Garoppolo couldn't stay healthy out there. Then they went through the entire roster. It seems to be a common problem every single year. It's and I don't think you can point at Jimmy Garoppolo and say it's his fault now not after what happened this last year. What is it, and we've had it, the conversation, quarterbacks get hurt in the pocket, not when they're running around down the field. What's that conversation, where's that take you? I I mean, I think it's hard
4: to ignore the pattern, right? Like you said, it's not just Jimmy. Like, we've seen Brock get hurt. We saw Trey Lance get hurt. I mean, go back to Tiles' days in Washington. We saw RG3 get hurt. I do think there's something about the offense, about, like, getting the quarterback outside of the pocket. And I know, like traditionally injuries like you said don't happen outside of the pocket but those are scrambles those aren't like design rollouts right so i think just part of the scheme you're kind of exposing quarterbacks to those hits and then think about like a play action play like a bootleg whenever like we, we see a sack happen on tv when there's a tight end in protection on the defensive end we're always like why why did they block in with a, a, a tight end and it's usually because they're like running some type of boot and you have to have usually have you can keep that defensive end at bay because of the boot action because of the run fake, but sometimes the defensive end guess is right. And that, that's kind of what happened against Purdy. You saw Hassan Reddick kind of take him out from, from behind. And I, I just think it's a system just maybe exposes quarterbacks to those hits that other systems don't do it as often. And like, honestly, it's the same deal with the running backs, right? They've had a hard time keeping running backs healthy and maybe there's some common denominator there between the running backs and the quarterbacks because they do ask both to kind of attack the edges of the defense.
1: Steven, just a few minutes ago, you mentioned how last year the Bills, due in part to their injury situation, just had to line up and play and just try to play sound fundamental defense. You have a new play caller in Sean McDermott this year, number one, and then number two, they've added some chess pieces here like Leonard Floyd, Puna Ford, Taylor Rapp, I mean, proven starting caliber players to add to the defense. We know they roll them through up front. Um, Do you think it affords McDermott to maybe be a little more exotic at times on the defensive side of the ball, maybe to your simulated pressure point and to just look a little bit different from week to week?
4: I I do. I mean, you think about Sean McDermott's background. He coached under uh, Jim Johnson. And Jim Johnson was like the father of the double-A cat blitz, which is that's one of the tools teams go to when they want to kind of like play with the quarterback's mind. I I do think we're going to see a return to that. And I think like the departure from Leslie Frazier, who came from that like Tampa to basically we're going to line up and play. We're just going to out execute you style of defense. So maybe that's a sign that he is going back more to his roots, which were more exotic. I, I really think they need to, I thought, I mean, it's so hard to judge last year just because of the injuries, but those Bengals games, even the the first one where we only saw like a couple drives, the Bengals just marched right down, scored a touchdown. And then the second, the playoff game, they just did whatever they want really. And I thought it was because they were giving Joe Burrow the answers to the test before he took it. And with a quarterback like that, if he knows what you're in, good luck. Like, I I don't know how you survive that. And the same goes for all the other top quarterbacks. And you're going to have to beat these guys in the playoffs. Like, I thought the way the defense had been set up was great for the regular season because you're not going to play Patrick Mahomes every week. Some weeks you're going to play Zach Wilson, some weeks you're going to play Mac Jones. So I think playing that style of defense makes sense over like a larger sample size. But if you need to win a game in January, I think you have to have you, you like I've been saying, you have to have changeups, you have to have curveballs. I don't think the Bills' defense had that last year, and. You saw in the playoff game against the Bengals, they kind of tried to replicate what the Ravens did and try to disguise coverages. But they, when you don't practice it, and now you're you're trying to roll it out in the biggest game of the year, it's tough. And we saw what happened.
0: What are your thoughts about the New England Patriots? Last year was a little bit of a debacle offensively, and and it, it that most of that information came from the inside. I mean, those guys were struggling yeah. to get plays called and and have a cohesive plan. Mac Jones vented on the sidelines a bunch of times. Now they've got Bill O'Brien back in the building. What, how did their offense change? I mean, tang- just from watching and how did it change from 21 to 22? And how do you expect it to change from last year to this? I
4: thought they kind of
0: threw Mack in the deep end. And
4: it's not just with, like,
0: hiring a, de- a former defensive coordinator
4: to be his offensive coordinator. I just thought it was a more grown-up offense. I'm not trying to belittle what he had done the year before, but when Josh McDaniels was there, it was a lot of, like, under-center play action. We're going to run the ball. We're going to, like, do end arounds, so a lot of constraint plays to, like, keep the defense on its toes – and then Mac, every now and then, they would dial up a, a deep shot downfield. I thought last year they tried to put they try to give him more ownership of the offense. They ran a lot of quick game. That's usually the type of style of offense you see from the the field general type of quarterbacks, which I, I feel like Mac has to be in order to be a good player in this league. He has to operate like a Drew Brees. And it, Drew Brees' secret—I mean, that was his weapon was quick game. He took the hike, he got the ball out on time, and it didn't really work. And I think one of like the lasting images from last year was Mac Jones on the sideline saying, like, quick game sucks, like, we got to start throwing the ball downfield. They don't really have the pieces to do that. They don't have the field stretchers. I I think they're trying to get to that point with Tyquan Thornton. I think they want him to take a step forward this year. But I I think it's going to be the same style of offense, just a little more professional. I think it's the the behind-the-scenes stuff is where we're going to see the improvements, like the play calling, pre-snap operation, uh, just using your timeouts. They were penalized a lot last year, avoiding penalties. I think those little things go a long way And I think that style of offense makes the most sense. Uh, And I think Bill O'Brien is more qualified. He has more of a capacity to kind of coach it. We saw it in Houston, even with limited quarterback talent. So I'm kind of higher on the Patriots And I think a lot of people. There's a lot of doom and gloom around the organization. A lot of people questioning Mac Jones. I think the offense will be just fine. I think they have some decent pieces. And Bill O'Brien's a good proven play caller in this league. So whatever problems were there last year, I really think have been eradicated just by bringing in a professional offensive coordinator.
1: Steven, thanks much for the time. We appreciate it, especially on a Friday. We'll catch up with you down the line. Enjoy your summer. Thanks for having me guys. Thanks, Steven. All right. That's Steven Ruiz, NFL writer for the ringer. Uh, If you want to have an idea or get an idea as to where the scheme competition is headed amongst coaches in this league, coordinators we're talking about, obviously, you can go to the TheRinger.com and his story there, which uh, just came out earlier this week, five games from the 2022 season that explain the next level of NFL scheme wars. It's a long read, but it's really informative. I liked it a lot. I mean, you've got, as I was talking to him, Steve, you've got rhythm quarterbacks in your division like Tua and Mac. Mac. These are guys that if you just mess up the timing of the play, you can get them to pat the ball, and now your rush can get home. Um, What the Chargers did in that game, I want to say it was a Sunday night game between the Chargers and Miami. Late in the season, they had just lost at San Fran, and they had to go at L.A., and they lost that game too. The Dolphins, who were rolling to like four straight wins, they run into two buzzsaws of defensive scheming, D'Amico Ryans and Brandon Staley, San Francisco and L.A. respectively, and they had him patting the ball all day. And, you know, if it wasn't for Tyreek Hill's scoop and score touchdown, they would have held the Dolphins to one offensive touchdown in that game.
0: Yeah. That was not – that was – anytime you can see Tua look and then look back the other direction – um, and pat the ball, that's not the way their offense was designed. They did that all night. And you, we're, seeing, we're watching highlights here now. And Tua stepping up, hitching, hitching again, changing his eyes and trying to find somebody, just throwing into a sea of Charger you know, yeah. defenders. It just, you know, they got him. Uh, it was a great scheme, and it worked to perfection. And the Dolphins, who had been at one point last year the hottest offense in the NFL, bar none, for a stretch of about a month,
1: uh, it just went away. Staley had an answer for everything McDaniel was drawing up in that game, And I think the the main key of that approach was they completely took away the middle of the field. The middle of the field is where Tua thrives. And with the speed guys that he's got in that art in that arsenal of receivers, it puts pressure on a defense so much so that almost nobody pressed the dolphins the chargers did and then they bracketed the inside passing lanes mm-hmm. so that there was n- there was no open grass for those guys to they, run to in the middle of the field
0: they were pressing those wide receivers mm-hmm. on the wide side and think about it if you're if you're already lined up wide and you're a fast fast guy and the guy that's pressing you takes inside leverage so you got to go to his outside down the sidelines and then he stays in there doesn't care if you go outside cuz he's got help out there you're you're stuck and your speed becomes negated because there's nowhere to run. You can run down the field, but you got too high safety. Yeah, that's, you're, you're running into the third guy, right? So uh, you do that, and it really puts the wide res- the wideouts in a bind. And you play kind of man, but not man. The corners. I remember you, you pointing this out to me. The corners would press the guy, but making sure the guy went to the, took an outside release. And then just stay inside and kind of mirror him in depth. Knowing the help was outside. Knowing the help was outside and not letting him inside. And Tua was not going to throw it where there was a defender standing right there. And it really was. It worked brilliantly. You got If you're the Dolphins, that's where you're looking and you're saying, listen, you better come up with answers to that. And maybe the Dolphins did have answers for it. Tua was not seeing it, um, if that's the case. Yeah.
1: Break time for us here, but we're right back to the phone calls in the OBL Friday Fan Mailbag when we return. John in Hamburg is going to lead us off. Open line for you at 803-0550. Got a question on your mind? Steve and I are here to answer it on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, back here on One Bills Live. Time to dive into the OBL Friday Fan Mailbag. And first up is Kapazi, who's asking, any chance Latavius Murray will be running back one? It's a good question. Um, I think at this stage of his career, he's a committee back. Uh, I think he will have a defined role. If he's on the 53-man roster, which I don't necessarily believe is a lock, We saw the Bills carry a veteran running back on their practice squad the entire year last season in Duke Johnson. I wouldn't put it past them to do that again. And Latavius Murray could be that guy if roster spots are hard to come by because maybe they're carrying an extra tight end. Or maybe they'd rather have Reggie Gilliam because of his versatility Uh, in terms of where you could line him up. Or maybe they want to carry an extra receiver, an extra lineman.
0: I think three... Guys who are going to take reps at running back is the limit on game day. So, you, right now it would be James Cook, Latavius Murray, and uh, Damian Harris.
1: No Naheem Hines.
0: If Naheem Hines is on the rosters to return kicks at this point, and there's your fourth, that gives you one less than you had a year ago at times. Then, Reggie Gilliam, you could, you could fold him in with the tight ends and, and go Knox, Kincaid, Gilliam, whoever. Okay. Right. Um, That's about as many roster spots as you're going to get for those guys. Then the rest of them are going to be
1: whiteouts. The expanded practice squad, you know, that's come in since the COVID rules first started and then became permanent in terms of a 16-man practice squad last year, have kind of changed the dynamics of these roster decisions, where now GMs and coaching staffs are deciding. Who can we afford to put on the practice squad without risk of losing them to another team, knowing we can only protect four of the 16 on the practice squad? That's that's kind of some of the dilemma that they deal with and try to accurately assess. And sometimes they're right and sometimes they're not. And sometimes you lose a player that you'd prefer to hold on to as a result. It's a tricky, tricky business. We've
0: also – I've had conversations with Brandon Bean where he will say this player – he goes, I talked this player out of taking a job on another team. They were going to bring him in. I go, listen, you're going to go there. The GMs are going to lose his job. The new guy's not going to have any tie to you at all. And you're going to – you're just trading a spot where we we want you around for a team. We have a plan for you. We have a plan for you, and and you're going to trade it for a shot – at a team that's going to make a switch, and you're going to be out of a job next this, this time next year, and he's talked him out of it. The guy's still here, and he's not the only one. Um, it is a it is a sales job, not just in free agency where you got these guys coming in. and You sell them on Sean McDermott and the culture, and Josh Allen the offense, and the and the contender that the team is. You got to sell guys at the bottom of the roster throughout the season to turn down an opportunity to go to another team. Yeah, it's an ongoing process that. You know, you got to have something to sell these guys at the bottom of the roster on this practice squad because you will lose guys that later on in the season you may
1: be so happy you have. Brian in the mailbag asks, which nine defensive linemen make the final roster? This makeup has changed since the addition of Leonard Floyd because Leonard Floyd, barring a catastrophe, is making this roster, so he has changed the dynamics there. But I think what you're looking at essentially is a defensive tackle position that's going to have Daquan Jones, Ed Oliver, Jordan Phillips, Puna Ford. I think those are your four locks at defensive tackle. And then do they keep a fifth in Tim Settle or somebody else? Right, you may have one or two others. Certainly you'll have them on
0: the roster or on the practice squad as backups.
1: Yeah. Then... On the edge, you've got Von Miller, Greg Rousseau, um, Leonard Floyd are your locks. And then are you keeping four ends and five defensive tackles, or are you keeping five ends and four defensive tackles? Last year, they kept five ends: it was Basham, Epinesa, Von Miller, Greg Rousseau, and Shaq Lawson. Do they go that way again and keep five ends and only four DTs, or do they flip it? It's going to be interesting to see what they do there. But after those top three that I mentioned at the end, Rousseau, Miller, and Floyd, now you got to pick two from Basham, Ray, Epinesa, Cameron Klein, Kingsley, Jonathan, and Shaq Lawson. Good luck. Good problem, but a problem nonetheless. Um.
0: And and there could be some room in there for to acquire another player and, and package those guys. If if you got too many of them, you're thinking, listen, I there's just too many. I mean, like guys like you got Boogie, Shaq, Ray, Epinesa, um, for one spot. The way you just laid it out, if you're going to go with four, yeah, or even if they go with five, you got three for one spot. Um, you're thinking, well. You could trade those guys. You could you could trade them for draft picks or whatever? If we get into a pen or whatever, um, it's a glut of good players. They got that's a tough roster to make, and all those guys are going to play if they're on the team. They're going to rotate in. They keep them fresh. Yeah. So it's not like none of those guys have any experience playing or ha- don't have tape where teams can look and say, "Yeah, you know what, that guy's better than the guy we got." And there are some of that.
1: Yep. Mark in the mailbag asks, how confident are you that the O-line will be better? I like the moves inside, but nervous about the tackles. All right, so let's take a look at the tackles and just kind of lay it out for you. So he's nervous knowing that your offensive tackles right now, as it currently stands, are Tommy Doyle, who's coming back from ACL, Dion Dawkins, Ryan Vandemark, who was on the practice squad last year, David Quessenberry, Spencer Brown and Brandon shell shell is a proven starter in this league that they just added over the past 10 days. He's going to compete with Spencer Brown at right tackle, make no mistake about it. And he'll push him. And I think that's good. We've talked about it a lot too. A lot of players in their third year here out of college blossom. There are plenty of examples and this year, Greg Rousseau and Spencer Brown are third-year players that I expect to blossom and play considerably better. That is undoubtedly the hope of the coaching staff in the front office. But Brandon Shell, I think, is some insurance for the right tackle position. So there are people here that I think make that position deeper, uh, at least heading into training camp. And we'll have to see how it plays out. In an ideal world, Spencer Brown lights the world on fire in training camp. Um, You know, you have to remember, this guy was, his first training camp was at a time when there were still COVID rules in place. And then last year, he missed most of training camp due to off-season back surgery. This is going to be the first year he's going to go into training camp healthy, God willing. Yeah. It makes a difference.
0: And I'll I'll say this, you and I have both sat there and and looked at these guys and watched them and thought about, you know, we were there at the roster last year. And these, this team, this offensive line, not only seems better, it also seems a hair younger than it did a year ago. Um, With McGovern and Osiris Torrance being two of the key components in there, that makes them significantly younger right off the top. And and I just – you know, it just seems to me that, yes, how confident are we? I think Brown and I are both 100% confident this offensive line is going to be much better than it was a year ago. At, not only at the front five, no matter who ends up being the tackles, um, the front five are all going to be better because the tackles, or at least the right tackle, is going to be healthier and have a better preseason, a longer run up to the season to get ready to play. But also the guys behind those front five are going to be better. So, I'm yes, I'm 100% but more confident the offensive line is going to be better this year than it was a year ago. I'm 100% confident.
1: Tony asks, who is a surprise starter in your mind when preseason ends? A surprise starter. Um, I don't know how much of a surprise it is, but I think there's going to be a new starting right guard this year. Yeah, I was. I think. I think, and I I think, was think you're say, looking at Osiris Torrance or David Edwards. At right, that's guard. what I was. I was going to say David
0: Edwards. I was going to say David Edwards. Um, he's 6'6", 380, He's twenty six years old. He's five year, uh, five year veteran. Came out of Wisconsin. The guy's a monster, big, six six. Um, he's listed at three oh eight. He looks thick to me. Um, I, I always. It's just numbers, but. Yeah, that's that's my call. Yeah,
1: I think I mean, the other the one, which could largely be based on personnel grouping in a given week, might be Dalton Kincaid. I don't know how surprised people would be to see James Cook as a starting running back. Maybe not at all. Trent Sherfield could be a, a dark horse in the slot. Yep.
0: out of three wide. Um, there's there's a lot in there. Yep. Yeah, the, I, I think. Like I said like I was surprised when Brownie told me this a couple of weeks ago that there's only three guys from the receiving core on the roster right now Diggs Davis from last and year. Khalil Shakir
1: yeah we did our whole podcast on it uh this
0: past and week and I' was I was shocked by it so I think you got a real chance for one of these guys to step in and maybe be a massive have a if not a starter a massive role in the philosophy of the offense mm-hmm
1: Last one here before the break, Andy asks, will Leonard Floyd wear the Spider-Man underarms for his first home game would be a great tribute to Daryl Talley. Yeah, that's right. Leonard Floyd is wearing jersey number 56. (laughs) But unfortunately, I think that is now illegal by league uniform rules. Um, Yeah, he might
0: be sent off the field now. Yeah,
1: there are uniform officials at every game in the league every week, and they fine guys if their uniform isn't to code. Um, and things like that, which, granted, do express originality, are frowned upon by the league. So I don't even think that's an option for him. I suppose he could do it in player warmups, but beyond that, probably not. We have to take a break here, but some final questions from the mailbag when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, some final thoughts or questions, I should say, in the mailbag. And uh, we go back to it here and see who we're up to. Who are we up to here? Let's see. SQ asks, new fan here, started following football more closely last season. What, in your opinion, are the main storylines and or players to pay close attention as the season starts? I think, obviously, the middle linebacker, whoever that starter becomes, will be somebody to look at. That is a storyline as well.
0: SQ, to answer your question, listen to this show every day.
1: There you go. And you
0: will have answers to all those questions. Another main
1: storyline is Sean McDermott calling the plays on defense now as defensive coordinator in addition to his head coaching duties. Those are just a couple, but Steve's got a good idea there. Travis asks, am I crazy for thinking the Chiefs should be concerned about the Bills? The Bills should be concerned about the Bengals, and the Bengals should be concerned about the Chiefs.
0: Yeah, That's rational. Is it? Yeah. It's a little circular. Semi. It's a little circular. I think the, I think the Bills are were concerned about the Bengals and the Chiefs, and the Chiefs are concerned about the Bills and the Bengals, and the Bengals are concerned about the Bills and the Chiefs. Yeah. I think all three of those teams are really good. The answer they have, is yes to all. Uh, yeah, and, and it, there's more to it than that. And I think all of them are concerned about teams in their own division that they got to beat twice, it's particularly Cincinnati. Look at the, you know, Lamar Jackson and his new contract and the new era that they're entering into in that offense. Pittsburgh Steelers never have a losing season under Mike Tomlin even when they should have they didn't uh and then they've got the Cleveland Browns who who will by all accounts be better than they were a year ago when they finished the season and Deshaun Watson yeah. with another year under his belt so all these and you know the Chiefs in the AFC West okay they're getting a break with the Raiders this year but Denver's going to be better with Sean Payton in the at the helm and the Chargers are never going to go anywhere so All those three of those teams have more to worry about than just each other. Uh, The AFC is a gauntlet.
1: From Connor, he asks, with mandatory minicamp approaching, what do you think will still be the biggest unanswered question that will require training camp to answer? There's a lot of questions that you need training camp to answer. Who's your middle linebacker? Who are your starting five on the O-line? That's just
0: what I was going to say, those two things.
1: And. Might even be D-line who's, who's starting there at defensive tackle because yeah. there's some training camp battles there. Garvey asked, which position group do you think the Bills may see someone traded from? Maybe defensive end. It's yeah. super deep there now. That's it for us. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you on Monday.